From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Tuesday edition, the Senate is back in session as the rest of the nation struggles with the reopening of society after nearly six weeks of corona confinement. As we discussed yesterday, the evidence is mounting that China intentionally withheld critical information about the coronavirus that could have saved lives and headed off the global economic downturn. Will China be held accountable? If so, how? South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham is here in just a moment. A majority of Americans are now saying it's time to turn our attention from the threat of the virus to the economic threat of a shuttered economy. Scott Rasmussen is here with the latest on what Americans are thinking. And speaking of reopening, churches across the country are facing an assortment of challenges as they seek to welcome their flocks back to corporate worship. Travis Weber, vice president of policy here at FRC, joins me for that conversation. Also confronted with the concerns about the future of the virus and its threat to our health and the economic unknowns of the future, how can we as believers navigate these uncertain times with confidence? David Clawson, Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview, will join me later on Washington Watch for that conversation. The, the uh, website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. All right, the coronavirus has 1.2 million confirmed cases and nearly 70,000 deaths in the United States alone. Worldwide, the virus has over 3.5 million confirmed cases and over 250,000 people have died as a result. Unfortunately, the loss of life and economic woe that could result from the virus could have been prevented if China had been honest about the spread in the first place. Here's a clip from this past Sunday, Secretary Mike Pompeo on ABC This Week. China behaved like authoritarian regimes do, attempted to conceal and hide and confuse. It employed the World Health Organization as a tool to do the same. These are the kind of things that have now presented this enormous crisis, an enormous loss of life, and tremendous economic cost all across the globe. The Australians agree with that. You hear the Europeans beginning to say the same thing. I think the whole world is united, understanding that China brought this virus to the world. Will we hold China accountable? If so, how? Joining me now to talk about this, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. Senator, welcome back to Washington Watch. Well, glad to be back in town. And uh, to all your listeners, be safe and uh, better days are ahead. Well, uh, I certainly hope that is the case. I believe it is the case as uh, the Senate comes back leading the way, hopefully for society to open up uh, in all 50 states. We can see people back in their churches, business right. owners back in their businesses, getting this uh, what was a historically strong economy going once again. But I, I want to focus on the issue of responsibility. I mean, the, the intelligence right. information coming out, um, the U.S. intelligence information suggesting China knew on the, knew about this, knew the dangers of it, and set on it so that they could stockpile medical supplies. Will we hold China accountable? Well, there's, there's two lines of effort here, Tony. You're a Marine, so let's look at this as a military operation. The first line of effort is to find out what happened. China is refusing to allow the, the world to come into the Wuhan lab. They're refusing to allow our investigators to go to China to figure out how it happened and the nature of the virus. So one thing we can do is sanction China until they cooperate with investigations. The wet markets, these are the places where they have open seafood markets, but they bring in bats and monkeys and exotic wildlife, and they get intermixed in the food chain. 
those things need to be closed. So I've got a bill I introduced Thursday that will uh, sanction China very hard. Uh, no visa travel, no visas into the country, no students coming in to study, no access to American banks. It's a really hard-hitting piece of legislation until they cooperate with investigators, including the world and the United States, and they close these wet markets in a real way. Now, that, that creates accountability and change of behavior. How do they pay? Tom Cotton's got a bill to allow Americans to sue China for the damage done to their family. That's one way. We can cancel debt. You know, we owe a lot of debt to China. We can cancel some of that debt. Or the president could do a pandemic tariff, putting a tariff on Chinese products, driving up the cost of doing business in China as punishment financially for what they've done. So I'm open to all three ideas about how to make them pay. Now, you have said that you are convinced that the Chinese government engaged in deception. Right. So let me tell you why. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to figure this out. This is a human, animal-to-human transfer. I don't know if there was an accident in the lab where they were doing research on bats, but we know these coronaviruses come from bats. They consume bats in these wet markets. They eat bat soup. So my my belief is whether it was an accident in the lab, it really got spread through a wet market, whether somebody got infected in the lab, went to a wet market, or somebody picked it up at the wet market, I don't know. But uh, they shut down travel uh, into Wuhan. They locked China down, but they let people leave China. They denied uh, human-to-human transmission because they wanted to hide it. They was trying. I think they were trying to put it out, stop it, not be embarrassed by it. This would be the third pandemic. But all the evidence suggests this originated in China from a uh, animal-to-human transmission. The Chinese lied about human-to-human transmission when they knew otherwise. They locked their own country down. They stopped travel into the country, but they didn't stop people from leaving the country. And the rest is history for Italy. Thank God that President Trump in January uh, shut off China travel into the United States. Right. Uh, Senator, as the intelligence uh, report shows, or or what we know about it, you probably know more, but what we've read about it, China set on the information supposedly so that they could stockpile medical supplies. Now, that fact would suggest that the release of the coronavirus, if it came from the lab accidentally, was not intentional because China was not prepared for this. Um, However, yeah, I don't think you can say it's intentional because their people suffered, too. But it was willful deception. Willful deception is what you can say. Right. I I agree with that, Uh, because I think had they had they released this intentionally, they would have been prepared. They weren't prepared. But that willful deception, according to some, an AP report quoted one source as saying that had they alerted the world just a week earlier, that it could have reduced by up to two-thirds the number of people around the world that have been affected, infected with this virus. And, of course, that could have, we don't know, but it could have uh, headed off this uh, tanking of the world's economy. Well, you're dead right. I mean, it would not be a pandemic. It would have probably been a regional problem with some international component. It would not be what it is today. You wouldn't have 70,000 dead Americans and 30 million people out of work and here in the United States. So this is the third time a pandemic has come out of China. These wet markets are just gross. You have all kind of food intermingled. You have bats, monkeys. Uh, They have exotic wildlife they consume on the spot. They slaughter these animals. The virus gets intermingled into the human uh, food supply. The Chinese government withheld information to the world. The WHO was a willing dupe of the Chinese Communist Party. So what to do? First, 
make sure China cooperates. We should sanction the heck out of China until they agree to allow the world into China to figure out what happened. They need to close these wet markets, and if they don't, we continue the sanctions. As to how they pay, you can allow individual lawsuits. You can have a pandemic tariff, or you can cancel debt. I think they need to pay, and I think this is a huge issue. And the Democratic Party is becoming apologists for China. You had a senator from Connecticut said, don't blame China, blame Trump. This didn't come out of Trump Tower. It came out of China. You know why the Democratic Party is so downplaying China's role here? Because the truth would make Trump right about China, and that's pretty sick that they can't admit the truth. Yeah, I see what you're saying here. I, I actually see three three approaches here, three things that must, uh, three takeaways. So we have to, number one, probe, find out what happened. Right. Get right. the facts. That's what you're after yep. with your with yep. uh, your sanctions, and then prevent. Because as you said, this is the third time we, we cannot right. sustain these types of outbreaks. The next one could be worse, as this one was worse than the previous one. But then the third is to pay because of the willful negligence. There, there has to be something, just as you would go into a court of law here in the United States, if someone is willfully negligent, they're liable for that. And in China, some way, somehow, is going to have to compensate uh, the world to, to some degree. Well, they, they'll keep doing it until it stings. It's got to sting enough for them to change your behavior. But I'm going to steal what you just said. That's a perfect rendition of what I'm trying to do. Probe, prevent, Pay, PPP. That's exactly the, the, the three steps we need to take as a nation. And here's the question. Where's the Democratic Party? Where's Joe Biden? They haven't said a thing. They want to investigate Trump, but they don't want to investigate China. I find that pretty shocking. Yeah, I, I do as well. It, it, it is this, you know, my... I've been around politics too long. I seem to be a little um, skeptical. <laughs> You're pretty good at messaging, I tell you that. I'm going to steal what you just said. <laughs> well, you can have it. You can have it. But the, the the issue here is it's looked like the Democrats have been trying to find something to to tarnish President Trump and his presidency. They couldn't do it with Russia. They couldn't do it uh, with the, the impeachment effort. Uh, and, and so now instead of looking at the villain here, China, willful deception that has cost literally tens of thousands of lives here in the United States, they want to snipe at the president. And, and I, I'll have to yeah. say, I think his leadership has been stellar, quite frankly. I do, I do, too. So let's just look at his leadership. In January, he shut down travel from China to the United States. That saved hundreds of thousands of people from being infected. March 13th, he imposed the CDC guidelines for mitigation. He uh, implemented the Defense Production Act. Now we're the king of ventilators. Uh, we're getting better on testing. So now the big issue is testing. They keep moving the goalposts when it comes to President Trump. And it is pretty sad to hear Nancy Pelosi say about three, four weeks ago that President Trump has blood on his hands. February the 29th on a uh, Today Show interview, Dr. Fauci, the expert of all experts, told the interviewer it's okay to go to a gym, a movie, or a bowling alley. That was the state of play February the 29th because China misled the world. When we found out different that it was worse than we thought, March 13th, president makes a very bold decision to shut down the economy to save about a million or two people from dying. So I think he's done a really good right. job of making hard decisions in real time. And keep this in mind, uh, and not you, you know this, but our listeners, keep this in mind. The If the president had one thing that he talked about 
well, two things I would say that he talked about talked about most frequently because every time I would talk to him, he would bring this up. He would talk about the economy, and he would talk right. about the low unemployment, historically right. un- low unemployment. So why would he? intentionally hurt those things unless he was taking decisive action for the benefit of America. And I want to, my friends on the right, I believe if we'd let it run its course, Tony, you'd have a couple million people dead right now. Look, 70,000 people died with with us locking the whole world down. So the president put life, he is pro-life in the real sense of the word. He put life ahead of his economic success. Uh, he, he, the economy ha- came to a grinding halt, not because of anything bad about the economy, to save lives. Now we're trying to balance how to turn it on. I thought I think he's done a really good job. Dr. Fauci and Bricks have been good advisors. Vice President Pence done a phenomenal job leading this task force, and Democrats are just always moving the goalposts. But here's what 2020 is going to be about. I think it's going to be a lot about China. Yeah. I actually I think you're absolutely right. And and hopefully we'll see a restart of our economy. Not Maybe we won't be by the end of the year back where it was, but maybe we'll be close. Well, I think we'll be heading that direction. God bless. All right, Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be watching what he does as he introduces these measures to hold China accountable. All right, when we come back, we're going to be talking with Scott Rasmussen. Um, A majority of Americans now say we need to turn our attention away from the threat of the virus to the threat of a shuttered economy. That's coming up next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. A lot more to come. Is historic masculinity lost forever? Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in a culture of gender confusion? We need men to be men, tough with compassionate strength, bent toward justice without compromise, locking arms and standing. We need to be the men God created us to be and fight for all that is right, true, and just. This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference. To find out more, go to StandCourageous.com. This conference is led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will invest in you, helping you understand your role as a defender, a provider, an instructor, a battle buddy, and a chaplain so that you can have the generational influence that God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. 
In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. We can all benefit. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Now, throughout this uh, pandemic, it has been uh, quite inspiring to see Americans helping one another, people volunteering to, to serve the sick, churches reaching out in their communities. Well, today, you can be a part of that through Giving Tuesday Now. This is a global movement to support nonprofits like FRC that have been meeting unprecedented needs. Now, since this began, FRC has been on the job. We've been shaping the policy, working for nonprofits on Capitol Hill, working with the Trump administration in Congress, making sure the churches got the aid that they needed by providing uh, that and resources, connecting them with our, uh, Nash, uh, our, uh, our uh, leaders in Washington, bringing our national pastors network uh, together, encountering the radical left's attempt to exploit the crisis. So we've we've been your voice here in Washington, D.C., but your support is critical to keep our vital work going. Now, your gift today will have double the impact thanks to a $20,000 challenge match. And as a thank you, I will send you a free copy of my book, No Fear. So here's what you need to do. Call 1-800-225-4008. I've got folks standing by to take your call right now. That's 800-225-4008, 800-225-4008, or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right. As I mentioned in the previous segment, the coronavirus is having a noticeable impact on public health, but surveys are beginning to show that Americans now fear the repercussions of an economic collapse more than the coronavirus. Joining now to talk about this survey is the man who conducted one himself, Scott Rasmussen, pollster and publisher of scottrasmussen.com. Scott, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's great to be with you in uh, these troubled times. Well, each day you have uh, the number of the day. It explores uh, interesting, newsworthy topics. And today you just happen to be talking about the issue that I want to talk about, and that is the shifting mindset of Americans where they're now as this uh, – I don't know, I guess the concern over the economy and what's ahead is eclipsing what's in the rearview mirror, and that's the threat of the coronavirus. That's right. Uh, our latest poll conducted this past weekend found out that 49% of voters nationwide fear the economic threat more than the health threat. Just 45% say the health threat is their bigger concern. And, you know, that's essentially a split right down the middle, but it's a big change from a month ago when 55% were more worried about the health components of the coronavirus and only 38% about the economic threat. Yeah, it's kind of natural. I mean, you're going to you're going to respond to what presents the most pain or concern to you. I mean, if your foot is hurting, you're going to go see a foot doctor. Not uh, You're not going to go and get your heart checked. Um, that, that's, that's right. And, you know, one of the other things that's happening is people are beginning to recognize there are other costs associated with lockdowns. It's not just, uh, you know, stay home and stay safe or go out and work and, and put your health at risk. Um, our polling has shown that people today, rec- many of them know people who are drinking too much 
or who are severely depressed or who are experiencing health problems because of the lockdown. So this trade-off is, is taking place on many levels. I, I want you to explore for us a moment something that I thought pretty fascinating in this survey that you did, this poll, that there is a, a, a pretty significant partisan divide. Explain that. Absolutely. Uh, by a 73% to 21% margin, Republicans say the economic threat is more serious. Democrats, by a 64 to 31 margin, worry more about the health threats. Now, we see, and we, you and I have talked many times, that if I tell Republicans, or if Republicans say the sky is blue, Democrats will disagree. And that has been setting in on the coronavirus polling as well. Uh, I think what we're seeing a little bit is as the president says we need to reopen the economy, uh, Republicans who have been more concerned about this issue from the start are rallying behind the president and those who oppose the president uh, who are, again, already more uh, skeptical of the economic uh, threat uh, are opposing him. On top of that, we have a circumstance where uh, there is a big divide in the polling between suburban, urban, and rural areas. And the urban areas where uh, there is the most support for Democrats is where there's still the greatest concern about the health risks. Um, and, and in rural areas, it's just an entirely different perspective. Well, and that's probably there's a more in, in those densely populated areas. They're seeing more cases of this. But is there and I, and I certainly get that part about the personalities, because this president could say one thing and you're going to have you're going to have people that love him, follow him. and You're going to have people that hate him and oppose him. That's just the way it is. But is there also an element of this as Republicans seeing more the the free market being more attached to that in less government and Democrats, those that tend to find comfort in more government, and it's the idea that government can provide? Um, absolutely. You know, and I, I don't know that I would put it even as limited as the, uh, the term free market. It's more a broader definition of civil society. Uh, conservatives tend to think there was a very active role for churches and uh, trade associations and small businesses in making things work, as opposed to a top-down mindset of the government should set the rules and we all play by them. So that absolutely factors into these numbers. Because I even saw that with, you know, believe it or not, there are people to my right, um, and, and and I saw people that were opposed to any type of government limitations on the meeting, which I supported. I supported the CDC guidelines. Um, I thought the president mm-hmm. took the right approach. But there were some who saw that, even that limited approach, as being a, a threat. You know, I, I, and I think there's a, we talk about these things as absolutes. Um, our polling shows that 72% of voters believe the lockdowns were appropriate at first. Um, And in fact, um, 69% believe they were appropriate everywhere, not just in big cities like New York. Uh, Right now, only 51% think they're appropriate. And we asked, you know, what about looking ahead 60 days? Only 21% think they would be the best approach to continue for another 60 days. So the timing aspect of this is very important. Yeah, it is. And And I find that I'm thinking like most people. I agree with all of that. I agree. How about that? But you didn't even poll me, Scott. But I would have given you that answer. <laughs> Scott, well, thanks I'm so glad. much. 
Thank Always you. great to talk with you. Thanks so much. Scott Rasmussen, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. He's got a great insight. I always like to look at Scott's stuff. You can find out more at ScottRasmussen.com. He's got daily information that he is uh, putting out. All right, as we're talking about churches and this reopening, the reopening pains, churches finding uh, many obstacles. We're going to talk about it next. Don't go away. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website for more information is TonyPerkins.com. And uh, don't miss the special Giving Tuesday now to the uh, opportunity today to stand with FRC. This is a focal point today globally to stand with nonprofits that have uh, been meeting unprecedented needs as FRC has been working, continuing to be your voice on Capitol Hill during uh, the midst of this uh, pandemic. We now have a $20,000 challenge match, which will double your impact for faith, family, and freedom. And as a way of saying thank you, I'll send you a free copy of my book, No Fear. Got folks standing by to take your call. 800-225-4008. Or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, as we were just talking about, the country is uh, slowly starting to reopen. And thankfully, the uh, the church is not being left out to to dry for the most part. Restrictions are loosening, and in person church services are resuming in various states. Um, but there are still some obstacles that are popping up here and there. How should pastors? How should churches respond to this? Joining me now to talk about it is is FRC's vice president of policy and government affairs, Travis Weber. Travis, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you, Tony. So uh, give us uh, give us a, a take on the landscape. I know we're different states are responding in different ways, different cities, and so we're uh, we're seeing pockets of opposition and challenges for some churches. But give us an overview of what's happening. Yeah, so I would say um, you know in terms of an overview, we uh, as of not too long ago, we, we faced a situation in which you had um, stay-at-home orders and various restrictions in, in place in most states, and this is what we overviewed at FRC in, in terms of assessing where um, churches and religious institutions were free to operate, whether they were considered essential, whether clergy were shared essential, and so forth. This largely um, uh, you know affected their ability to function in various ways as. As we're starting to open up, though, and as, as states enter different uh, uh, approaches to opening up and, and implement uh, their own versions of the president's um, open, plan to open up America again, we're seeing an even increasingly uh, shifting landscape. And, you know, across this landscape, for, for the most part, um, you know, we in some cases, churches and, and religious groups are given more leeway to operate by being declared essential with clear religious freedom guidance, like in Texas. Elsewhere, though, uh, they're, they're just being left a little more in the dark. Uh, there's not as much clarity. And in some places, we are seeing problematic restrictions in places where um, there is a restriction on religious entity and it's being singled out. And there's no good reason for that. That is a problem constitutionally and legally, and uh, we need to push back against that. Uh, some of these are being cleared up upon engagement, but some are probably due to more hard-headed governmental authorities who assume they're, they have a mandate for what they're doing uh, when that's not true, and they run afoul of the, the, the need to make sure religion is protected. So the lay of the land right now is shifting rapidly, some different reasons for the restrictions. 
uh, but we hope to highlight um, that uh, churches need to be afforded clarity and, and a special protection for their rights as uh, more and more states open up increasingly. Yeah, we, we spoke about that yesterday with Eric Dryband, uh from the Department of Justice that, you know, for churches to be restricted, that since that is an, not just recognized by the government as essential, it's recognized by the Constitution as a fundamental freedom and right. And so uh, to restrict that, it's different than, you know, going to a restaurant. You know, there's no constitutional right to go to a restaurant necessarily, not like there is an enumerated right to the religious to religious freedom, the free exercise thereof. And so uh, there's an extra layer of protection on religious expression. But we saw uh, coming out of Kansas City, Missouri this week, uh, the, the mayor there, uh, announcing earlier that uh, all businesses, including churches, um, were going to be, uh, were told to keep registers of those coming in. Now, we dug down a little bit deeper on this, and it was not mandated, but uh, encouraged to keep registers. Th- those types of things, you know, it's one thing if it's optional, but you- you've got different, I think, different leaders who have enjoyed the power that they've had to, s- to some degree, I-, I-, I say that, that may be exercising too much authority. And in those cases, I think it's incumbent upon churches, pastors, and others to respectfully but um, consistently push back. It is. And, Tony, even where um, you know the, the, the restriction may not have a legal problem on its face, like the Kansas City situation, if, if uh, people do not question or hold the government to um, the test for for you know the need for the government to justify its its restriction. It's not on the private citizens and churches to justify their exercise of the rights. It's on the government to justify its restriction. This is across the board with any constitutional restriction, whether a high or low standard of scrutiny. It has to be remembered. So you know, looking at these situations now, I mean that's that should be the case, even if you know there's no clear legal issue, because it reminds us of the freedom and the balance of power that we have in this country, where. Uh, it, it's the government has to justify its restriction. And when there's a strict scrutiny standard, the government has to show a compelling interest that it's narrowly tailored to to advancing its interest before restricting any rights. If it can't show that, it can't restrict rights. And this is key uh, that for all to remember. Right. And it's it's important as we, we see something like this, nothing like this has happened in 100 years. And so when something like this comes along, it sets precedent. And how we respond to this could shape how the next response takes place. So it's important that we defend these fundamental rights and freedoms, even when it's a favorable government. Fortunately, when the federal level, we've had a very zealous protection of that first freedom. But it's important to keep reminding our elected officials of this fundamental freedom that we're not going to, in any form or fashion, uh, allow to be jeopardized. Travis Weber, thanks so much for joining us. All right, folks, don't go away. When we come back, David Clawson joins me for a conversation about how to navigate the uncertainty of these times in which we live. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Where can young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of real manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of gender confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will help you understand your role as a defender, provider, instructor, battle buddy, and chaplain so that you can have the generational influence God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. 
Recently, a bill called the Fairness for All Act was introduced to the House of Representatives. In response, FRC has a new resource, the Unfairness of the Fairness for All Act. This act attempts to find a compromise between the First Amendment's protection of religious freedom and the demands of the LGBT community. But, unfortunately, it is a poorly drafted bill that would negatively impact religious freedom, true equality, and the privacy and safety of women. Learn more at frc.org slash fairness for all. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Let me remind you once again, today is Giving Tuesday Now. It is a uh, global effort to support nonprofits like the Family Research Council that are meeting unprecedented needs during this time of, uh, well, well, crisis, quite frankly. Since this whole thing began Six weeks ago, FRC has been constantly on the job helping shape policy by working with the Trump administration and Congress, aiding churches by providing resources and connecting our nationwide pastors network with administration officials. We've been working to make sure nonprofits and churches were included in the relief efforts. And uh, we've been countering the radical left's attempts to exploit the crisis. We have been your voice on uh, Capitol Hill, but your support is critical to keep our vital work going. Your gift today will uh, double the impact thanks to a $20,000 challenge match. So if you'll give us a call at 800-225-4008 as a thank you, I'll send you a free copy of my book, No Fear. So just give us a call. I've got folks standing by to take your call if you would like to see your gift today doubled. Call 800-225-4008 or go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, this morning I was looking at uh, some polling data. I mean, I always like to look and see what people are thinking. Now, I don't make my decisions based upon what people are thinking, and I think polls polls are instructive for, you know, just trying to figure out where people are, where, where they're, what they're thinking, what's motivating them. And I was, uh, I was alarmed by the... The fear that has gripped so many people, fear over the pandemic, over the virus. And now, as we were talking with Scott Rasmussen, you know, that that's shifting. And now there's fear about the economic uncertainty. My concern is historically when people have encountered such significant events, whether they be health issues like pandemics or economic downturns, 
there is often a tendency to turn to government, and I'm seeing that in, in a lot of what's happening here in the United States. And I'm just going to limit this here to a conversation among friends here, among believers, that there's even a tendency to, among Christians, to look to government as the as as our as our source of help. Now, there's nothing wrong with government; it has a role to play. And I just talked about how we were working to um, make sure that in any relief efforts, the churches and nonprofits could be a part of that. And, and, and there's a place for that because they were told to shut down because government didn't want the churches to continue to meet to spread the virus. So. Uh, that aside, as we go forward, should we be gripped with this fear just because we're uncertain of what the future is and therefore turn over to the government more authority than we would normally give to them because we're fearful about the future? I would submit to you that's a very dangerous place for a republic to be, especially as we're coming up upon an election. So I... I how should we be responding? Joining me now to uh, to t- offer a biblical sp- perspective on the matter is FRC's Director of Christian Ethics and Biblical Worldview, David Clawson. David, welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for having me, Tony. This is an important conversation. So happy to be here. Well, I mean, when we read Scripture, and by the way, folks, I hope if you're uh, joining us, we're doing a uh, two-year journey through the Bible, and this week uh, we're in Judges. But as uh, David, as we've been reading through the Old Testament, as we've been reading through Genesis and uh, Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you know, we see God's people facing challenges one after another. I mean, that was a, a challenge coming out of bondage, headed to the promised land. There were challenges there. But they they were put into a position of having to trust God if they wanted to enter into the promises of God. Yeah, that's absolutely right, Tony. Um, and let's let's be honest. We are in challenging times. There's a lot of angst. Uh, as Christians, we really do need to be very thoughtful about how we think about our circumstances and these big conversations uh, that our neighbors are having around us. And you're, you're absolutely right. As Christians, as we read through the Old Testament, um, we, we see constantly where God's people are faced with really big challenges. And I think it, it is often difficult to trust God. Um, and we, we see the Israelites struggle with this because it really is easy to get consumed with the here and now of our present struggles. It, let's be honest, it, it's easy to lose focus. Even if you've been following God for decades, the concerns and problems that we face in a fallen world, they, they, they press in on us. It's easy to get overwhelmed. In fact, what one story I, I think about from the New Testament is that memorable passage in uh, the Gospels where Jesus is walking on water towards the disciples in the boat. Do you remember that passage? Peter asked Jesus if he can come out to him, and Jesus says he can. And at first it goes well. Peter makes his way towards Jesus. But what happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. Or he begins to sink. And what does Jesus say to Peter when he pulls him out of the water? You of little faith, why did you doubt? And I think all of us can find ourselves in Peter's position if we're not diligent and making an intentional effort every day to make sure that our eyes are on Jesus and we're, we're making sure we're taking our cues from his word on how we respond to our circumstances rather than giving in to this fear. Well, David Kloss, let's talk about that for a moment from a standpoint of, all right, you're, you're a student of Scripture. You're working on your doctorate. 
um, in, in in theology. Uh, I'm a student of scripture. I'm, I've been a pastor, but these these are not just stories that we study because we want to study the history of uh, the the Christian faith. These have practical application to our lives today. I mean, God intends for us to take the truths from Scripture and apply them in the midst of a, a, a job loss, a, a pandemic, uh, illness, uh, whatever it might be. These these principles, these truths of Scripture are to be guiding us today. Oh, that's, that's very true. And, you know, it's really interesting. I was thinking about this. Um, I, I was looking at similar statistics earlier about how it seems so many Americans are giving in to fear, and I'm sure that includes a lot of Christians. And it, it made me think of how often uh, the Scripture has this uh, fear-not language. Yeah. I pulled up just a couple of verses. Joshua 1, nine. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Second Timothy one seven for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self control. One other one I saw from Psalm twenty seven verse one, uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I think it's a good question to ask. Why does the Bible say so much about fear? Every genre in the Bible, whether historical narrative, an epistle, poetry, prophecy. It contains the same admonition time and time again about not being afraid. And why is that? I, I think the answer is, that, is because as human beings, we are prone to be fearful. And that's why Scripture constantly tells us to remember that God is on the side of his children. That, that's a precious truth. We need to remember he goes before us. He comes behind us. And no matter what our circumstances might suggest, uh, God is, is with us. I, I think of the passage in Second Kings 6 where Elisha Remember, he tells his servant, uh, he, he can't see the angel. Those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And, and so the constant theme of Scripture is for God's people to trust in God uh, rather than themselves or some other uh, external authority. Well, you're, you're, you're actually going down my lane here talking about the, the Scripture and what it says about fear. You know, a number of years ago, I started on uh, just doing a Bible study on that phrase, no fear, because I kept running across. I said, you know what? Why is this here so often? In fact, it was the genesis of the book that I wrote, No Fear. But in studying that, I think you're absolutely right. That That's the number one reason that it is there, because that's the tendency of man is to be fearful, is to hold on to what we have, what we know, fearful of the unknown, of the uncertain. But there's also something else I found in this, that in almost every case, when God would say or, or would communicate through whatever means, directly, indirectly, do not fear, it was always a precursor to something significant that God was about to do. Because they were going to see things and they were going to have to go through things that would really shake them. But on the other side, they would see something phenomenal that God was going to do. And so I think that's why what we do when we have fear is we shrink back and we kind of go into the caves. We go into hiding. And when we have faith, we step out and we go forward. The two are incompatible. You can't have faith and fear because faith will eclipse the fear if you exercise it. And if you don't exercise the faith, the fear will extinguish it. 
Yeah, that's absolutely right. And uh, I think another theme of those verses that you just cited is not only does God tell us, he tells his people, don't be afraid. And then often he follows it up by reminding them that I am with you. That Mm -hmm. passage from Joshua, do not be afraid. Why? For the Lord your God is with you uh, wherever you go. So Again, whatever kind of the, the circuit, I, I was talking to a, a, a one of my professors, actually, who's facing kind of an unknown job train earlier uh, today, actually. And he just has reminded me that, you know, the scripture tells us that God is with us. And I think that's important for all of us to remember, you know, the coronavirus didn't take God by surprise. Uh, God was not, um, you know, surprised that this this thing cropped up as quickly as it did. And so as believers, you know, we have those categories that Scripture gives us of God's sovereignty and God's providence. And although these are trying times, um, we can be still stand on his word that he is with us. And we know in Romans 8 that even these things that seem so difficult, God is working for our good for those who love him. Right. And I think it is important that we, you know, we we understand that these illustrations from Scripture, these accounts of history, and what the children of Israel and what others in the New Testament went through, that, as you said, God is faithful, God was there, he said, he'd never leave you nor forsake you, that it requires that we trust God, that we, we take the step of faith and trust him. And then we begin to see him walking us through this. It doesn't mean that it uh, eliminates all the challenges. In fact, you know, we know from James that the Christian life is filled with challenges. But we should be grateful, even in the midst of that, because that brings about our maturity. And it grows us and strengthens us in our walk with the Lord, which makes us fruitful and productive for his kingdom, which is ultimately what we should all be about. So instead of you know, shrinking back in fear, being intimidated by the circumstances, embrace it with an anticipation of what God can do through it as we trust him and walk in obedience to him. And that, and look, I, I know folks are saying, well, you know, you didn't lose a job. Now, I've been there. I've lost jobs before. I've, I've experienced a lot of stuff, a lot of uncertainties. But I have always found God to be faithful. And I don't know, maybe someone here is listening. Maybe you've, you've got a loved one that's had the coronavirus. Maybe you've lost a loved one. And you're, you're trying to ask, where's God in all of this? Look, we live in a fallen world. And, and David, you know, people ask, how could God let this happen? Well, we live in a fallen world that's filled with evil. And evil things and bad things happen to good people. But as you said... God is with us and will use this, as he says in Romans 8.28, that if we allow him, he can turn even the things that were intended for evil to good. But it's a choice we make as whether or not we trust yeah. him and believe him. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right, Tony. And I think that you know one of the things you and I have talked about in the last couple of weeks is how churches have had just an unbelievable opportunity to model what this trust looks like not just to people who go to church normally, but to those in the community. And I think that hopefully this will be an opportunity as as Christians are facing the same challenges that everyone else is facing, uh, that people can look to us and see, wow, these people who I know who follow Jesus have this this um, this confidence, they have this peace about them, and yes. that that could open up opportunities for the gospel to go forth. That's 
Absolutely correct. And the whole reason for having this conversation today is that as I saw the fear that uh, that people have, that as Christians, if we will trust God, even in the midst of uncertainty, I'm not saying just because you trust God, the uncertainty goes away, but you can face that uncertainty because you're not doing it alone. God will walk with you through this. And the power of that testimony of peace in uncertain times Peace in the midst of challenges speaks volumes to a world that is grasping for answers and hope. And and this, as you said, David, this can be one of those moments that the church could not replicate the opportunity at another time to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and encourage people to also place their faith and trust in him by accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and walking with him through life and having the confidence of knowing that there is more than this life to come. And even in this life, Jesus promises us life more abundantly, meaning that we've got that peace, that comfort, that assurance of his presence that nothing, nothing can replace. Absolutely. And that's my prayer for pastors and churches all over this country. But when we look back on this time, months from now, we'll see God's good hand of providence all over this, and that many, many people who would have never heard the gospel will have heard it and responded and now be in a saving relationship with their Creator and their Savior. David Clawson, as always, great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And folks, thank you for joining us as well. And, and walk with confidence, knowing that you know, as you place your faith and trust in God, He will walk with you no matter what you're facing. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul. He says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. 